Good morning. When Grace Beyond began two years ago, God clearly led the women of Calvary to step out in faith. We simply could not have women's Bible study here because of lack of space. But God used that to send us out into the community like streams of living water going into the desert. The Lord connected me with Debbie McGoldrick, and we shared a similar passion for neighborhood Bible studies. I became very excited about her website, which is called NBS to Go. It stands for Neighborhood Bible Studies to Go. With her simple tools and simple studies, we could encourage women to pray for their neighbors, to care for them with the love of Jesus, and then to simply invite them to experience God's word. I was inspired. In the spring of 2015, Debbie came from Atlanta to help us cast the vision that God had given us. That summer, we sent many women out to prayer walk neighborhoods. Many started Bible studies. I stand here two years later to say God has done amazing things. Many have stepped out in faith. People have come to know Jesus. We have grown. During our blessed to blessed prayer gatherings that you've probably seen on the screen throughout the last two years, we have consistently prayed for six pages of prayer requests for over two years. That's how much God has been doing. Amazingly, there was a part of the story that makes this journey even more incredible, and I would love for you to hear about it from Debbie McGoldrick, who is visiting from Atlanta, and from Jim Grundyke. Although I live in Atlanta, I grew up here in Grand so this is my home. At Christmas time, I asked my parents to share their testimonies with me, not leaving out a bit of detail. I wanted to hear it all. And to my surprise, I discovered something I'd never heard before. You see, 73 years ago, with a heart to share the love of Jesus with children in her neighborhood, Mrs. Grundyke opened her home to have a Bible club. She planted a seed in her neighborhood for the children. She just opened up her door, invited them in for Bible stories and cookies. And it was through her influence that my mother placed her faith in Jesus Christ. I, too, came to Christ at an early age. And you're never going to believe this. One of the first things I wanted to do was to teach Bible stories out my bedroom window to the neighborhood children. So my dad removed the screen, and I put picnic benches out, and the kids came, and I told them about Jesus. Twenty-nine years ago, a small seat of a Bible study began in my neighborhood in Atlanta. And from there, multiplied an amazing global movement called Neighborhood Bible Study to Go. Mrs. Grundyke is in heaven. She has no idea 73 years up till this point. The bushels of fruit that have come from that one seed that she planted in her neighborhood in my mother's heart. Hi, I'm Jim Grundyke. My mother was Madeline Grundyke. You would normally probably see me ushering down in the uh, center aisle for quite a few years. <laughs> My parents were part of the group that founded Calvary Church way back in 1929. While the, when the Bible Club movement began in the 1940s, 
My mom started the Bible club in our home, and it grew to over a hundred kids every single week. She used flannel graph <laughs> to share the gospel and teach the Bible. I was known as a kid in the neighborhood whose mom taught the Bible clubs. Here at Calvary, she was a Sunday school superintendent for grades six, excuse me, from grades four through six for over 20 years. She was active in encouraging many other women of Calvary to have Bible clubs also. My mom left an incredible legacy as she challenged and equipped other women to get involved in teaching throughout the city of Grand Rapids. So today, I get to meet Jim for the first time. Amazing, his mother invited my mother into her home. One seed, isn't that amazing? And then I came to Christ, and I mean, the rest is history. It's just one seed of many. Her legacy, I'm telling you, is going around the world through Neighborhood Bible Study to go, but also through you here at Calvary, just coming right back around. So I want you to imagine 73 years from now, most of us will be gone. But what seeds are you planting that will multiply and scatter throughout the world? It's been the incredible privilege that I've had of walking with many of you over the past two years. Every apple has four to six seeds, but you can never predict how many bushels of fruit are in each seed. Mrs. Grundyke planted one seed. Bushels, hundreds of thousands of bushels have come from that one seed. May you never forget that. Thank you for letting us share. I love that story. I think that's so great. Mrs. Grundyke, who's a part of Calvary Church, a founding member of Calvary Church, uh, was obedient, started a neighborhood <clears throat> Bible study in her neighborhood, and Debbie McGoldrick's mom came to faith in that. She then led her daughter to faith, and her daughter has been doing neighborhood Bible studies, not just in Atlanta, but all over the world, and then turned around and is helping us at Calvary Church do neighborhood evangelistic Bible studies. Only God can work that all out. <clears throat> Only God. And if you're willing uh, to allow him to use you, uh, that kind of stuff can happen. And so I'm praising the Lord uh, that he's such a great God that he does these kinds of things. This is a great illustration of what we want to talk about this morning from the Gospel of Mark. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to open our time in God's Word in prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark with me. But first, would you bow your heads as I pray? Lord, who is like you? Father, you do miracles. <clears throat> there are some here today, Lord God, who should not be here today, except for the fact that you've intervened miraculously in their lives and you have raised them up. Lord God, none of us should be here today, except that you are so kind to come and reach out to us with the gospel. Lord, some are here right now ready to receive that offer. God, I praise you that you are at work in all these things. 
Thank you for this testimony and this story about how you've been at work over these past 73 years doing what only you can do. Thank you for giving us a little glimpse of what you're up to and for helping us to see the blessings that come through obedience. Now, Lord, as we open your word, we pray that your spirit would empower us to see that we might know and understand what it is that you have to share with us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's no problem. In the rack in front of you are Bibles that look like this. And if you turn to page 812, you will be in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now last week we began our series in the book of Mark by looking at how it is we're supposed to read this book. In Mark chapter 1 verse 8, or chapter 8, sorry. In chapter 8, Mark gives us instructions as to how to read this gospel that he's written. And he's basically told us it functions at two levels. This book is designed, first of all, to miraculously open the eyes of those who do not know Jesus and show them that he is Lord and Savior of the whole world. Second, this book is designed to miraculously heal those of us who are Christians, our vision, so that we can see that everything that Jesus accomplished happened through his suffering, his sacrifice, and his service, and to know that we are called to do the same. It is so easy to think that when you walk with the Lord, everything should go smoothly and everything should be easy and there should be no struggle and no suffering. And this book is designed to miraculously change that point of view so that we can see that it's through the suffering through the sacrifice, and through the service that God accomplishes his will. Well, this morning we have a chance now to introduce the Gospel of Mark. So last week we were sort of looking at how to read the Gospel of Mark. This week we get to talk about kind of the story in summary form. And to do that, we're going to look beginning in verse 1 and then verses 2 through 8. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, begins the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The word good news is the word gospel. Those are the same words. Gospel means good news. And so when we talk about the gospel of Mark, this is the good news about Jesus. And it's designed to proclaim to us the good news that God has for us in Jesus. Well, verses 2 through 8 kind of introduce the idea of this good news. And it's about those who need to receive good news and those who are encouraged to proclaim good news. Look with me in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. 
make straight paths for him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There are four things that I want us to hear this morning from this passage. The first is that God has an offer that he is making. That's what the good news is. And so today we want to understand what is the offer? What is the good news? What is it that God is wanting to give us in and through Jesus? Number two, I want us to look at where that offer is given. The place where we receive that offer. Number three, There's a condition, and we want to look at the condition to receiving the offer from God. And then number four, we want to talk together about the person and the people who proclaim the offer. So let's begin. What is the good news? What is the offer that God is making? Well, we're told right at the beginning that John the Baptist shows up And he has the message of good news. And the message, the offer, is in verse 8. This is the message. I baptize you with water, but he, that's the one coming after John, that's Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the offer that God is making. This is the good news that this gospel is about is that Jesus is offering to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's begin with the idea of the Holy Spirit. The very first two verses of the Bible, meaning the way that this book begins, reads like this, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit that John the Baptist is referring to in Mark chapter 1, this is the Spirit of God. And what we see from the very first few verses in the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is present at the time of creation. That he is there with God the Father and with God the Son, present there, manifesting God's presence in creation. You see, we believe in a triune God or the Trinity. We said that in the Nicene Creed. One God, eternally existing as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. 
From the very beginning, God the Holy Spirit has been present, manifesting God to creation. Now all throughout the Old Testament, great promises were made about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Just one example. From Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, God promises, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In the Old Testament, God was promising a day in which the Holy Spirit, the one who has existed for all of eternity, who was there at creation in the beginning, God's Holy Spirit would be given to people like you and me. And through God's Holy Spirit, we would be forgiven for our sins. He would transform our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. He would give us life and compel us and enable us to obey God so we might experience the blessings of God. And all throughout the Old Testament, people were looking forward to the gift of this Spirit. Well, when we get to the New Testament, the promises continue of the blessings that will come as we receive the Holy Spirit from God. Now there are far too many, and we do not have enough time to go through all of them. Let me just list some of them for you. In the New Testament, we are promised that the Holy Spirit will guide people into all truth. The Holy Spirit will give empowerment, empower people to be witnesses for Jesus in this world, that God's Spirit assures us that we are children of God. How do you know if you are a Christian? God's Spirit tells you. God's Spirit is promised, brings us eternal life and peace. God's Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, prays for us in accordance with God's will. God's Spirit reveals the deep things of God to us. The stuff that no one could know on their own, God's Spirit, the promises will reveal that to us. The Holy Spirit empowers us for service and manifests God in our lives. God's Spirit brings freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from legalism, freedom from slavery. God's Spirit creates fellowship with God and with others. God's Spirit empowers us to do miracles. And there's more. There, trust me, there's more. There they are. God's Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's Spirit leads us and guides us, providing direction in life. God's Spirit guarantees our inheritance in heaven. God's Spirit brings unity. The Holy Spirit enables us to pray 
and to fight against the darkness and the spiritual wickedness in this world. God's Holy Spirit enables us to endure suffering and causes the suffering to work out for our good. God's Holy Spirit inspires us to sing. Could you feel that today when we sang? That's God's Spirit. That's the promise to bring joy to our hearts as we sing praise to God. The Holy Spirit causes us to be reborn, renewed, and restored despite all the sin and junk in our life. God's Holy Spirit protects us from the evil around us. God says, my spirit in you is greater than all the wickedness and all the evil in all the world. This is the good news, is that God is promising to give us his spirit to live in our hearts, to be in our lives, to manifest his presence to us. Now notice what it says. Jesus will not just give you the Holy Spirit, He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, John the Baptist was at the Jordan River baptizing people in water. What he was doing is they would come to him in the middle of the river and he was taking them and submerging them underwater and bringing them back up out of the water, and that was meant to be a symbol. That's why John says, look, I'm here doing this with water. Jesus is going to do it with the Holy Spirit. In other words, for the past couple of weeks, we've been seeing images from Texas and Florida and the Caribbean of flooding. Houses, cars submerged underwater, Water everywhere, getting into everything, every nook, every cranny. The water's filling up all sorts of things. That's the imagery. Except it's not an imagery of destruction. It's an imagery of God's Spirit being poured out like a flood on His people. That God's Spirit coming into your life, not just to produce a little bit of joy or a little bit of peace or a little bit of patience, but God's Spirit being poured out like a flood in your life so that you and I are submerged in God's presence. That God surrounds us like flood water surround a car or a house or a tree. The idea here is, is that Jesus is coming not just to give us a little bit of God's presence, but to rip open the floodgates of heaven and to have God's Holy Spirit poured out on us in a flood of peace and joy and love and power. A flood of of assurance, of miraculous power, of guidance and direction. That's the promise that's being made. And so the offer is that Jesus would pour out in our lives God's very presence and all that goes with it. Power, love, eternal life, protection, hope, strength, joy. That's the offer. That's why it's good news. Second, I want you to notice the place where the offer is made. Verse number three. 
a voice of one calling in the, and I want you to pay attention to this word. What's the word? Wilderness. Verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. We have behind me a picture of wilderness, probably the Judean wilderness in Israel. This is where John the Baptist was, some place that looked like this. And the idea is, is this is where the offer was being made. See, the problem with the images we've been seeing of floods and hurricanes and natural disasters is it's very humbling and sobering. And it reminds us there are forces in this world that are way beyond us, that nature is simply too strong for us. That's what wilderness does too. You find yourself in the middle of the wilderness. That's not like sandpaper. Those are deep crevices. You find yourself in the middle of those. It's too much for us. Wilderness is the place where we thirst. It's the place where it's difficult to find food. It's the place where we come face to face with how small we are in this world. It's the place where we realize, I'm not going to get out of this. I'm not going to make it without help. Now, John the Baptist literally appeared in the wilderness to make the first offer of the good news in the wilderness, but that was meant to also be a metaphor to tell us that the offer of good news normally comes to us in our wildernesses. What do I mean by that? I mean the communities in which we live, the families in which we were born, the workplaces that we go to work, the schools that we attend, the country that we live in. For many of us, we know the experience of wilderness in those places. It's the feeling of loneliness. It's the feeling of powerlessness. It's the feeling of not belonging. It's the feeling of, of thinking that it's all too much for us. It's the African-American student in a predominantly white school. It's the foreigner living here in America. It's the single person being around married people. It's the person who's struggling with their health, living among healthy people. It's the person who goes to work as a Christian in a company filled with greedy people, loaded down with selfish ambition. It's that feeling of, I don't think I belong here. It's that feeling of loneliness. It's that feeling of, I'm not powerful enough to make this all turn out the way it needs to turn out. It's the person who struggles with same-sex attraction, being around straight people. In every situation, you and I find ourselves in the wilderness. That's where the offer comes. That's where God makes this offer, is when we find ourselves in a situation in which we are alone, or we are afraid, or we are overwhelmed, or we are faced with circumstances we simply cannot overcome on our own. That's where the offer of God's presence comes. There's an amazing two verses in the Old Testament. Come out of the book of Hosea. Here God is speaking about Israel and all their sins. And God says about Israel, she decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Now you would think, God's furious. You would think, here comes the condemnation. Here comes the punishment. Here comes the judgment. 
After all, God has just declared that his people have been unfaithful to him. They have forgotten about him and ran after other people. Look what God says. Therefore, therefore, meaning because they have been sinful, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and do what? Speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and make the valley of trouble a door of hope. This is a God who leads us into the wilderness so that he can offer to us not judgment and condemnation, but his presence. This is the offer is that if you find yourself in a wilderness, if you find yourself all alone in these circumstances and fear and pain and struggle is your lifeblood, this is the place where God says, I've let you get to this place so that you will listen to the offer. And the offer is this. I want to flood you with my presence. I want to give you love and joy and peace and assurance. And the reason why God drags us out into the wilderness to do it is because we won't pay any attention anywhere else. But this is normally where the offer comes. It comes in the wilderness. Because God says, I see that you're all alone. I see that you're afraid. I see that you're overwhelmed. And I'm here to help. So the offer is, a flood of God's presence in your life. The place that the offer normally comes is when we find ourselves in the wilderness. Number three, there's a condition. Notice it says, verse four, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And what John the Baptist says is, look, I've been given a task to prepare you for the coming of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the task is, I need you to help, I need to help you see that you have some contribution to the fact that you're in the wilderness. That the prerequisite for receiving the offer from God is for you and I to acknowledge that some of the reason we are in the wilderness is because of our own sin. You see, it's easy for us to see why we're in the wilderness because of what others have done to us, which is true. But a necessary prerequisite to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and I to realize that we are also in the wilderness because of our own choices. That those who have been victims of racism may as well have harbored hatred in their heart toward others. That those who have suffered at work under the greedy ambition of others around them may too have worshipped money and placed too much prominence on finances. That those who have been the victim of angry outbursts may themselves have given angry outbursts to others. That the reason why we are lonely may be in part because we've not loved others the way we're supposed to. 
that perhaps the reason why we're thirsty is because we've lusted after the wrong things. That the reason why we're afraid in the wilderness is in part because we've put our trust in the wrong things. That every single one of us is a victim of other people's sins, but at the same time, we are ourselves perpetrators. We are all guilty of pride, of lust, of jealousy, of anger, of bitterness, of gossip. We are all guilty of having turned away from God and done things that he's not wanted us to do. And the prerequisite is, look, the offer is not condemnation. The offer is not judgment. The offer is not pain. The offer is life. But in order to receive that life, we have to acknowledge that we are part of the reason why we don't have life in the first place. And that when we do that, then God is free to pour out his Holy Spirit in our life. That when John was baptizing people with water, it was preparing people to realize we have contributed to part of the problem. And God says, once you realize that, now you're ready for my solution. So the offer, a flood of God's presence in your life. The place where we normally hear that offer best is when we find ourselves in the wilderness, scared, overwhelmed, dying of thirst. The condition for receiving that offer is to acknowledge that we are part of the reason why we're in that wilderness. And then the fourth thing I want us to see in this passage is the person or the people who get to proclaim the offer to others. Verse 2, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Who is this talking about? Well, God the Father says, I will send my messenger ahead of you, meaning Jesus, who will prepare your way. Who is this? Well, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is there to proclaim the good news, to prepare the way for Jesus to come into people's lives and pour out the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a couple of things I want you to notice about John the Baptist from this passage. Verse 7, it says, After me, John says, comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is a really interesting acknowledgement from John the Baptist's part. There were some Jewish leaders at this time, we have a couple of writings uh, from some rabbis, that said that those who were Jews who found themselves in uh, servanthood because they were in captivity, that was not unusual. They were allowed to do whatever it was that their master asked them to do except take off their shoes. And the reason was is that people's feet were considered the lowest part of them. And so to take off their shoes, that was something that only a slave did. And so some teachers in Judaism said, look, we're created in God's image. We're nobody's slave. We may be servants for now, but we're not slaves. And so you shouldn't take off somebody your master's shoes because that would indicate a kind of slavery that's dehumanizing. You see what John the Baptist says? 
the one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. I'm not even worthy to untie them, his shoes. Now this, John the Baptist, is the same person who Jesus, the one he's talking about here, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, now how many men does that include? Yeah, everybody. How many women does that include? Everybody. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Did you hear what Jesus just said about this man? The greatest living human being up to that point. And John the Baptist says, are you kidding? I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. That kind of humility, that kind of servant attitude, do you hear John the Baptist fighting for his rights? He's saying, look, I'm here, I'm here to serve. I'm lower than a slave. Why is that important? Where is John the Baptist? Where is he? In the wilderness. How'd he get there? God sent him. He's not there because of his sin. Why is he there? Well, if the offer is going to come to people who are in the wilderness, the person who is going to make the offer has to be in the wilderness with them. That's the whole point about camel's hair and leather belt and eating locusts and wild honey. The idea is that's where John lived. You see that? That's where he lived. He's not commuting from the city. He lives out there. The only thing to eat are locusts and honey. And the only thing to wear are camel's clothing and leather belts. The point is supposed to be John the Baptist is in the wilderness. Why is he in the wilderness? Not because he's being punished for his sins, but because the people who are going to receive the good news live in the wilderness, so John has to live there too. And this is the point. Mrs. Grundike, her wilderness was her neighborhood. Listen. When her son says he was known as the person in the neighborhood whose mom had the Bible club, I don't think that's a positive statement people are making about him. Do you? I hear a lot of persecution in that. I hear a lot of teasing in that. I think to myself, if I'm the boy growing up and everybody knows me as the kid of the mom who does the Bible club, I think there's a lot of trouble that goes with that. That's a wilderness. But Mrs. Grundyke has to live in that wilderness. Jim has to live in that wilderness. Why? Because that's where Debbie's mom lives. And if Debbie's mom is going to hear the gospel, somebody's got to live in the wilderness next door to her to share the good news with her. 
Some of you here have been asked by God to live in the wilderness of having a special needs child, and you're being asked to live there because there are other people who have special needs children who are not going to know that God wants to pour out His personal presence in a flood in their life unless you're there with them to share it with them. Some of you have been asked to live in the wilderness of public schools, feeling like you're constantly on guard, that you're always an outcast, that you don't fit in. You're there because there are people who live in that same wilderness who need to know that God wants to flood His presence in their life. Some of you have been asked to go through some pretty difficult health situations, a wilderness, if you will, because there are people who need to know that God loves them who have the same kind of situation that you're in. Some of you have been asked to be part of a school or part of a country or part of a city where you feel like an outcast or you feel like you don't belong or it's overwhelming to you. You are there because God is saying, How are these people going to know if you won't go live in the wilderness with them? This is what Jesus means when he says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what do we do with this teaching today? Number one, if you're here, and you have not yet accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit, you do not yet have the Holy Spirit in your life, the offer is receive Him. You say, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control in your life? Do you have the Spirit of God guiding you and directing you? Do you feel Him leading you into all truth? Do you experience joy when we sing praises to Jesus? Are you even right now experiencing Him testifying to your spirit that you are indeed a child of God? If you don't have those things, that's what's on offer. That's what's being given to you. That's what is being made available to you is God wants to pour out a flood of His presence in your life and He wants to give you power and assurance and eternal life and love and joy and peace. Look, He's not promising riches and and comfort and ease, but He's promising you joy and peace, and self-control, and kindness, and guidance, and protection, and life. And maybe one of the reasons why you're in the wilderness that you're in is God's trying to create the thirst for those things. Jesus says, it's not the healthy that needs a doctor, it's the sick. And if today you feel alone, you feel scared, you feel overwhelmed by life, the offer from God is, look, I want to pour out in a flood of goodness my presence in your life. All you have to do is acknowledge that you are part of the reason why you're in that wilderness. So for you, receive the gift from God that Jesus has made available to you. Second, there are some of you here who have received that gift. You've acknowledged that Jesus is Lord. You've accepted the gift of the Holy Spirit. But truth be told, he's not present in your life in a flood. It's more of a sprinkle. I'm here to tell you the good news is Jesus says, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the point is, if you only have a sprinkle of the Holy Spirit in your life, you get a little bit of guidance, you occasionally feel some peace, you sometimes have a little bit of assurance, you occasionally feel joy when you sing, you sometimes see some protection. 
I'm telling you, you're not really experiencing the fullness of the good news. The good news is God sent Jesus so that he could flood your life with his presence. And one of the problems is, is we get scared of floods, and so we board up our windows, and we board up our doors, and we get worried that it might carry our car away, or it might carry our house away. I'm here to tell you that he might. But the good news is, is that it's his presence that is going to flood your life. And perhaps you're here this morning and God is leading you back into the wilderness to create the thirst to get you to take the boards off the windows, to take them off the doors and let him in. Let the flood come in. It's a flood of peace and joy and perseverance and patience. That's what he's offering to you. And so perhaps you're here this morning and you've been sprinkled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to rain him down in your life in such a flood that it will be out of control. Third, perhaps you're in the wilderness because you're John the Baptist. Go prepare a way for the Lord. And maybe you've been put in the neighborhood you're in to do what Mrs. Grundyke did. I don't know her. I know her son. I guarantee you she was scared. How do I know that? The Apostle Paul was scared to share the gospel. Everybody shared to, cared to share the gospel. You ask Debbie McGoldrick, she'll tell you. Scared to do Bible study. Everybody is. But maybe God's put you in the wilderness so that you can prepare a path so that Jesus can come into people's lives. And my encouragement to you is, you are where you are because God has placed you there. If you take the normal human attitude, which is, I deserve better than this. Why did I get asked to do this? Why do I have to feel like an outcast? Why do I have to be lonely? Why do I have to feel overwhelmed? Why do I have to go through this difficult situation? Why do I have to feel like I'm different than everybody else? You can keep asking that question. Or like John the Baptist, you can say, I'm not even worthy to unlace his shoes, and he's using me to tell other people about him. And you can own the wilderness that he's put you in. Listen, I wish the wilderness came with caviar and steak. It doesn't. It's locusts and wild honey. And that's why it's a wilderness. But if you're willing to accept that God has placed you in that wilderness 73 years from now, Somebody's going to stand up in a church somewhere and say, my life was different because they owned that wilderness. My family's life was different because they accepted that assignment. My city is different because God used them powerfully. The world in which I live is different because they heeded the call. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Father, who are we that you should respond to our sin with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit? Who are we that you should rain down on us joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness? Who are we that you should choose to live in us and with us and flood our lives with your presence. Oh Lord, there are some here today 
that need to stop pretending that they're in the wilderness because of all the things everybody else has done to them and own that they're in the wilderness because of some of their own choices. God opened their eyes and let them see the offer. It's not condemnation. It's life. And Lord, there's some of us here that need to stop being so concerned about our own comfort and our own safety and our own happiness and accept the wilderness you've put us in so that we might be agents of life. Give us the courage to obey. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.